0: here we are. End of season two. I I know. Bear with me. Our first Tellarite is on the show. At least I think it's our first Tellarite. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. We haven't seen Tellarites in a while. I mean, I've seen them relatively recently because of TOS, but historically speaking, yeah. Uh, Jordan Lund, Jordan Lund plays Scalar and does a really good job of him, but I'm not going to talk about Scalar yet. Yep, I want to see something, okay? Now, I know a decent number of you watch these with me, which is awesome and just totally cool. And I just want to jazz about that really quick because I think that's neat. But <clears throat> whether you watch this with me or not, I have a question for you. What is most memorable about this episode? What's the thing that reminds you most of it? Like, for those of you who don't watch this with me, what happens in this episode? Like, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. Although you do watch this with me, what's the most memorable thing after having watched it? And copy wrong. So, yeah, let's cover the B-plot first, because... uh, Now I gotta be real. If the B-plot was the only plot, and the rest of the episode was of that level of quality... We might be testing out our new Lamentation lighting. Which I've been doing some work to set up, actually. Because, to be perfectly blunt, I was kind of predicting one. Didn't turn out that way. (laughs) Now, I suppose I should answer my own question to you. What do I remember most? Nothing. This is yet another Season 2 episode I have no memories of. I really am starting to think that when I sat back years and years ago and sat down and watched Season 1 and 2... I gave up at a certain point. It wouldn't surprise me. I thought I went all the way through it, but I just i have zero memory of this. So, yeah, we get to be in the decon chamber again. Yay. The most juvenile sexiness in Star Trek. And what is it Star Trek we're talking about? We've been pretty juvenile. Oh, my God. All right. So, they set up a privacy curtain that's actually new. They even comment on how new it is. And it doesn't help us any, of course. Did you know Roxanne Dawson directed this episode? I was curious because there are many shots in the B plot of like way too close shots. Like, imagine I don't really have anything it, somewhere. Like we'll use my knife, it seems appropriate. It's okay, it's a box-opening knife. It's That's why it's a crappy little steak knife. It's actually partially broken. So imagine that this is the camera, right? And so it's just right here as it's going down, lovingly looking... I know you can't see it anymore at this point, but, you know, lovingly going along her thighs as she rubs the gel on it and... Huh? And this whole... And, and there's this, like, weird something's wrong music, like the generic creepy music starts playing Well, doing excessively close shots of a woman who is basically in her underwear rubbing lotion on herself and on Flocks, uh, of course. <sighs> I do like how his primary insistence on not having sex with her is actually entirely a matter of medical ethics or ethics in general if you prefer now hear me out for a second because this is nicely denobulin, and frankly in character for flocks if Paul walked up to him a full sign sound mind and said let's have sex i'm pretty sure he'd be okay with that no judgment by the way i just think that's the, that's the way he's been portrayed so far right that that is the manner in which his character has been built. Thus, this is actually in character for him to be like, no. Why? Because she's not of sound mind. If, I mean, this is the someone's too drunk, maybe you shouldn't force the issues thing, right? Like, they say they want it, but they are definitely not in their right mind. And that's just a big no, 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 no. Right? And so I do like how he shuts that down hard. He's not even a little bit interested. She even says, don't you find me attractive? Of course I do, but that's not the issue here. Nice touch. It's the only redeeming feature of the B-plot, is his continued insistence on just throwing up the ice wall there of no. Because I do think that's very much in character for him. And it's appropriate in general. Naturally, though, this is when we find out that it's the Ponvar. Dun dun dun. It is sex or death or the challenge, but everyone always forgets about the challenge. Um, so, okay. She's out of her mind. Um, there's this disease, which is why they're in here in the first place. There's a crisis going on. That's the A-plot, which I've been ignoring for so long. Uh, and it's potential that she might die. I've got an idea. Let's play this for laughs. It Okay, so I'm going to give away something here. I've kept a list of Enterprise episodes and TOS episodes for the, for the finale videos I like to do at the end of series. And I was just looking at if I could pull it up right here, because I actually have it right here. My favorite episode after having gone through with rumination analysis mode is a muck time of t o s right at the top it It hits all the beats right I go watch the rumination of it if you want to hear more analysis. I have no idea when it comes out relative to this one, so you I have no idea, but I'm just saying now look at that, okay now look at this, and every other time the pawn forest come up it was every other time it comes up, it's a frickin joke now. I am not opposed to humor in Trek or fiction in general. Anybody who's watched my stuff knows that I appreciate a good joke. I have gotten, I've grown to develop the skills to analyze humor because you guys keep asking me to analyze humorous movies, which I've been doing the best job I can. Hopefully I've been doing a decent job with that. But this is not funny. It is not funny in presentation. It is not funny in topic matter. It is not funny in execution. It fails at all three key points of humor. If any one of those points fit, this might actually work. Like, I mean, okay. To be completely honest, if this was going the parody route uh, and contained the content... So if the content didn't change, but the presentation or execution were better, then this would basically be a porn parody, wouldn't it? Doctor, you don't understand. I have to have sex with you, or else I'll die. Very well. Well. For the sake of saving my patient's life. Dramatic pose. I will have sex with this beautiful woman. I can't even say it with a straight face. See, I would be a terrible comedian, because I can't help but laugh at it. This, (laughs) right? But at least you could go the comedy angle with it if you really want to embrace it. But no, instead it's just, oh, that's quirky. There's this scene where Tapal starts going, with the food. That's slightly out of character for her. And Tucker's like, she all right? And rather than admitting the seriousness of the situation, he just says, ah, she's just got a slight fever, no real issues there. And Tucker's like, all right, let me know if you need anything. And it's just played off for laughs, which, actually, while I'm on the subject, I'm going to go ahead and mark this as a mark against the crew for not recognizing that someone is under mental influence. I mean, obviously, Phlox does, but I'm pretty sure Tucker would be able to pick up on this. Yeah, maybe he just has more things on his mind than the safety and well-being of his crew member and, frankly, friend. (laughs) You know, this really could be horrifying if it was portrayed properly. That's the other route. Rather than going humorous, we could go horror. This could be a horrifying element. So if we're going to go horror, since we probably don't want to go the succubus route, because you could go that route... Let's go ahead and make it so that there's a little bit less scantily clad, and a little bit less... Where's the camera? Here. A little bit less of this. Ugh! There we go. Sorry. I had to do it for once. I was thinking about doing it on the glasses, but I don't actually want to mark the glasses. Anyways, a little bit less of this, a little bit less of the scantily clad, and make her freaking out. And Phlox is right there as she's freaking out. Now, why is this horrifying? because she's losing her ability to control herself, and she's superhuman. Think about it. It writes itself, almost. And the way he has to now try to negotiate with an irrational person. Now, excuse me for flexing my gigantic and incredibly stupid brain here, but the whole point of someone who is irrational is that they are not rational. You can't reason with them. It doesn't work that way. They, they will take things in the wrong directions. Uh, Input-output problems, right? That's the whole point of being irrational. So that then provides the horrifying element here, the horrifying setting. He has to figure out some way to talk through the fluidity of her insanity in order to convince her to not hurt herself, to not destroy the decon chamber she tries to escape, and to not hurt him, who is stuck in close proximity to her while this virus runs its course. That's brilliant. Naturally, we don't do that. Instead, she walks out and she goes after Reed. Now, I know Reed is a Navyman. And we've already established, you know, sailors. Uh-huh. Yep. Horn dog. Okay. I'm with it. <sighs> to his credit, he does not fall for this, except he totally does. Because he sees her and has already been informed that she is out of her mind and needs to be brought back immediately. He has a phaser which has a stun setting. It's actually set to stun. We know this because he doesn't adjust the setting before he shoots her with it. So, to be perfectly blunt, Reed should have probably just walked up and said, Oh, there she is. And then carry her back. Now, I'm not trying to be blasé here, but that would be competency on Reed's part. You remember The Crossing? An episode I rather disliked, if you'll remember. In the crossing, there's this bit where one of the wisps goes after Reed, and you know what he does? He lunges down the the staircase, rushes for the the panel, pulls out a phaser, and immediately fires right at the thing. Of of all the, I know that's such a weird thing to latch onto, but it was such legitimate competency in an otherwise ugh, episode that something about that just stuck out in my memory. And you get and as I mentioned in a previous thing, I tend to prefer competency. It would have been nice if if she was like. Hey, Reed. He's like, "Commander (laughs) Paul," And that's just the end of it. What I would have done, if we're going the horrifying route, I would have had her, you know, so she breaks out. And so they go down with the suits and they've sealed off the deck and they're scrubbing it. And you hear someone in the distance go, Ah! And Reed's like, Okay. And basically I would have had, I, I would have to figure out how to structure this, but Reed would effectively set a trap for her. So he's going down the corridor and I, I could just see him like leaning against the wall, like oh, it's a shame, and just kind of musing out loud, like you know, she really, she really is quite a beautiful woman. It's a shame to waste that, and just kind of lure the irrational out there or something like that. And so she kind of just comes in. You think I'm beautiful? And then, like immediately, because as he was lounging against there, he had his hand on the phaser, and then, and then he catches her. And then we can have a one liner if you really need it. You'll <sighs> be beautiful another day, or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at one liners. I'm carriers, you back. I don't know. Something. That that sounds terrible. That's a terrible scene. I could probably workshop that and come up with something better. But anything would be better than what we actually got? That's not true. I've seen worse. <sighs> so, um, that's actually it for the B plot. Let's move on to the A plot. Scalar is wonderful here. Jordan Lund, Jordan Lund does an excellent job of portraying the role. He comes across as beautifully world-weary, and I never realized it until I was watching this episode how rare that particular character trait is in Star Trek. We see this kind of attitude and mentality a lot in several other bits of fiction. Farscape and Star Wars both come to mind immediately, as well as Babylon 5. But here, most people in Trek don't come across as this specific brand of just, yep, Hmm. I uh, I wouldn't be careful with that. You know, there's just this kind of uh, thing. It, it, it makes him weirdly relatable. It makes him feel a little bit more blue collar. You know, so that's the very first thing we have from him. Actually, that's not true. That's the second thing we have from him. But the first thing we have from him is competence. He actually uses a really intelligent strategy against them. He is affable, amiable. Warm, inviting, friendly. Then he shoots them. He completely disarms them, emotionally and mentally. And then he does so literally and takes the captain. It's also interesting he only takes the captain, since after all, he's not a terrible person. He's just a guy doing his job, blue collar. So. He's not evil. He actually gives Archer a chance. You know. Quiet, are you going to spend this one in, in silence? He's very pragmatic, but as we learn about him, this episode does something very interesting. It introduces a guest star who we have never seen before and will never see again, and spends a huge chunk of the episode characterizing them. We learn about his mentality, we feel how desperate he is, we feel how under the boot he is. We find out about his brother. We find out about his past as a freighter. We find out how much he despises working as a bounty hunter. He probably only puts up with it because it's the best paying job that he has access to, and he's apparently quite good at it. We find out that he has a rivalry with Gowron, apparently. Yeah, I recognized O'Reilly immediately there, by the way. He's, he's just too distinct. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. They put him in 20 pounds of makeup and it's like, nah, that's O'Reilly. It's immediate. <clears throat> We learn a lot about this character, and he becomes... Well, he sympathizes, and so we learn that he's not a... He's not, I must do the job, or I don't care as long as I'm paid. No, it's just, I'm sorry, you're probably not a terrible person, but I do need to take this back, otherwise they'll simply come after me instead. And it's just, there's just this weariness, I hate to keep emphasizing that word, but unfortunately, I don't have a horse in front of me. So, culture, 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 and um, he—he just—he he nails that tone. They also mentioned Darsex, which is how he's going to get paid. Good one. I—I'm I'm, actually—it's <laughs> such an easy thing to do, but it's amazing how how uh, rarely writers actually do this because Darsex was established all the way back in TNG Firstborn. Remember when? uh What's his name? When uh, Alexander was like, "Hey, can I have some to go pay for something at that Klingon festival?" You remember that? No, of course you don't. I, I'm sorry, but I heard the the currency, and I'm like, that sounds familiar. And I, and I looked it up, and I'm like, aha, because someone somewhere wrote that down. And this is before Memory Alpha, too when this show was being made. Uh, granted, we did have the internet, and there were plenty of fan sites. But my point being, someone wrote that down somewhere, or someone notated it somewhere, so that when they had to come up with a currency for the Klingons, they could be like, aha, we already came up with one. I just think that's really cool that they managed that. Anyways. So, you know, they have the big action. There's several action sequences in this one, which I don't have much to say about. Although, I, I gotta ask, they're going through the clouds, going into the planet, and... Uh, you know, he sends out the beacons, and he's flying by sensors, which means he sees all the beacons, right? So he follows one of the beacons, and then one of the beacons circles around and comes behind him. You'd think he would have realized that, that one's the real one, simply by its operations, but then again, maybe he is an incompetent bounty hunter, as previously indicated. Either way, they find out that they are six light years, less than, excuse me, six light years from Klingon space. I give up. Season 2 is in the home sector, and apparently right next to the Klingon Empire. I give up. I give up trying to reconcile these things. The only way to make this this all make sense, going all the way back to season one, is to shove the Klingon Empire way up here. Oh, you know what? If only I had something right here just for this. I actually bought this just for this. So this is as close to an official Star Trek map as exists as of this writing, as of this recording. Uh, this is, for those curious of the Star Trek Star Charts, Complete Atlas of Star Trek by Jeffrey Mandel, if anybody's curious of it. It's got some really cool stuff in here, actually. But what I really want to know is our territory. So we got the galaxy. Give me a moment here. I should have probably marked the page, but I'm way too stupid to do that. And, yeah, there's some cool stuff. Hey, there's Shaka Ree. Holy crap. <laughs> you realize that doesn't make sense, right? Here's some list of the sectors. There's Sector 001. What do you know? Go figure. Okay, so apparently Sector 001 is a lot smaller than I was thinking. Let's just make it the home region then, if we're going to use this as a reference. Okay, so what do we got? This is the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, here we go. What do we got? What do we got? That's a planet. I don't want planets. Nobody cares about planets. Here we go. This is what I want. This is territories. So there's the UFP, there's the Tholians, there's the Cardassians, there's the Brain. This is actually pretty similar to Star Trek Online. Whenever I think of the maps, I admit I tend to think of Star Trek Online. And there's some trade routes, there's the Cardassian Union, there's the Dominion War. What the hell am I looking at here? Oh, Beta Quadrant, of course. Uh, Do you have this in English? Of course you don't, why would you do that? There we go, Beta Quadrant. Hey, no, no, Klingon Empire and the... This really is... Star Trek Online's map. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I prefer that map. Uh, but it does kind of clarify my point that the Klingon Empire is way down there. <sighs> that is not nearby. Uh, that, is, that is quite a distance. So, uh, a little bit of perspective. So we got Earth, and then Andoria, Vulcan, Telar, Vega, Benzar, Alpha Centauri. All of these are right nearby. Zoom down a little bit, we got Deneva. Uh, Taloon, we got, we go out a little bit more. There's Ryza. A little bit further, there's the Briar Patch. That's cute. Regulus is out here. Then we zoom out substantially more. We get to Deep Space K7. There's Sherman's planet right on the border, of course. Organia, also right on the border. And then, interestingly enough, right on the border is Kronos. Which means the Klingons apparently had been expanding that way instead of towards us. They have a planet named Bellatrix. Does she work for Voldemort? Anyways... <clears throat> So the Klingon Empire is way the hell over there. So I give up. I, I don't, shouldn't actually damage that book. There we go. <laughs> you tell I'm a geek when I get worried about the spines of my books. I give up. So Klingons are right nearby. Sure, whatever. This then leads to a weirdly... Uh, wonderfully done scene where he reaches out to his brother and he finds out that the freighter that he's trying to get back so he can get back to his old life has been stripped down bare a brother could have told him this at any point in time but whatever and b it has a noticeable impact on him and so he's just like well what choice do i have and that's wonderfully relatable isn't it we we don't want to be part of a corrupt system do we I mean, really, we don't. We are. I am. And if you're watching this, there's probably a very high chance that you are, too. I've talked about this before on much heavier streams than this pre-recorded video. And we will not go in full depth into the idea of you know, guiltless existence within a capitalist society. But the fact of the matter is we are complicit one way or another. And, well, that's a problem, isn't it? But it's it's so relatable, it's so believable. It's not like he wants this. It's not like he wants the Klingons to have their feet on his boots. Remember, the whole reason he's in this situation is because he happened to trespass, which he did, in such a minor and insignificant way that his life was destroyed for it. How does that sound familiar? I mean, I actually hope most of you haven't been through that. But I imagine several of you have heard of that happening. And then he goes to work for his oppressors until he finally is able to earn up enough money to get back his life, which is now gone and is no longer accessible. Yeah. So they underpay him, because of course they freaking do. Because of course they would, because they're idiots. And they decide to, you know, do whatever he helps Archer escape Archer escapes, action sequence, we're walking, we're walking. T'Pol's fine, that's cool. At the end, they have a little uh, goodbye thing with uh, with Skalar. Am I the only one who wanted him to be like, you know, Starfleet's hiring, and um, we need people for the, I forget what it's called, the EAC or whatever, the Earth Transit Authority, I think it was, ETA, no, that doesn't sound right down it there's a whole episode about it, it was cool it's actually one of my favorite episodes so far i can't think of the name of it um no 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 I, this is gonna bug me now sorry don't tell me i didn't i I'm, I'm at my notes here for horizon i remember the name of the episode whatever it, get him in contact with them maybe try to figure out something you know i mean right I mean we we can get we can get you a job, we can get you afraid we can get you a better life isn't isn't that what the whole frickin point is? Sorry, isn't that the whole point of Star trek sorry a little little close to home, I apologize, I apologize. We're supposed to be able to actually do something about it in fiction, right? I like to think head that they do that they that that he becomes one of the people who joins. The Federation when it's finally founded, and he becomes one of those freighter captains and he gets his frickin' life back and he enjoys his life. Maybe reconnects with his brother. I'd, I'd be I'd be down for that, you know, as long as his brother's okay with that too. I'm not sure if I could say I enjoyed this episode or not, because I, I hated it, and then it hit, but it was good, but it was terrible, and it just it was like someone was like, Ugh! And then, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And then, again, which almost made it worse. But before we cut off, I promised I'd explain myself. This is the end of Season 2 in every way that matters. While there is one last episode that is in Season 2, The Expanse is the beginning of the Zindi arc, and I am going to be operating and treating it as part of Season 3, as a direct consequence thereof. So let's talk about Season 2 briefly. I've talked a bit about the, the 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 path the show is on. Nemesis has already come out. Nemesis has already bombed. And by the time Nemesis has bombed, they were already in production of season three. They also had consistently dipping ratings, and executives from Paramount, as in people above Berman, you know, you know, so so higher up executives, had mandated that Enterprise might get the plug pulled. They actually reduced the budget for the show, and they reduced the... I'm saying that wrong. They reduced the allocation for the show is a better way to put that. The budget per episode was still basically the same. And they reduced the number of episodes from 26 to 24, and they said fix it. This was enough of a shock to the system that the threat of cancellation, which is something that Star Trek had not really faced since season one of TNG, that made them go, okay... How are we going to deal with this? And this led to them trying the wild, crazy, and insane idea of doing a season-long story arc. Now, we do know with the advantage of hindsight in interviews that Braga, just Braga, was pushing for this hard. This is something that he had wanted to do since Voyager. This is something we've commented on. Everyone knows this, right? Braga was a big force behind wanting to do this kind of string continuity. Not just regular continuity, of which there's actually been quite a bit in Enterprise. No, an actual season-long arc. And we'll see how that goes when we get there. But it is amusing to me that they decided that this was the crazy and wild thing that they could try, is having a series-long arc. It says a lot about how this particular set of studio executives were perceiving television at the time. It is worth noting that this is early aughts at this point, and the idea of this kind of contiguous show wasn't exactly brand new, and there were other shows that have been doing this before this. However, it is also worth noting that amongst this particular circle, most notably science fiction, this is the kind of thing that was still seen as the weird and the unusual and the maybe not actually going to happen. I've said this before and I'll say this again, this is the pre-Game of Thrones era, although There are other shows that contributed to this, of course. And I like to point to Babylon 5 as actually being the innovator in this part. But I'm a little bit biased there, so I'll admit it. But Enterprise trying this, it's funny because in hindsight, it seems like the most obvious decision possible. Next thing I want to comment on, uh, just two things, really quick. Uh, Cut season and series long arc. Ah, right, sorry. No, I actually only have one more thing to comment on. Um, Because the guard didn't change. Same executives, same producers, same writers, same directors, same overall team. It's just, we're going to try to do things differently. That will change when we get to the end of Season 3, but we'll get there eventually. In about uh, 22, or excuse me, 24 weeks now, give or take, about half a year. But this is also when they started calling this Star Trek Enterprise. How many of you remember that? I commented on this, actually, if you remember, all the way back in my intro video. Because it was originally just... Enterprise. And there was a weirdly large amount of marketing pushing the fact that this wasn't Trek, or wasn't typical Trek, which I still think was a mistake. They apparently agreed with me. In fact, three episodes in, uh, I forget the name of the episode, but it's three episodes into season three, so four episodes from now, they officially started releasing these under the label Star Trek Enterprise, and they would later go back and add that title to previous episodes, especially for the DVD and Blu-ray releases. So... I'm actually a little nervous because I've seen The Expanse before. I know I have. I remember it distinctly. And I've seen season three and season four several times. We're getting back into more well-trod territory for me. But one of the things I've discovered doing this show over the last nine plus, nine and a half years at this point, is my opinions tend to change with, that, with analysis mode on. Sometimes I think differently, sometimes better, and sometimes worse. And I have no idea what I'm going to think of season three. I hope you guys will share this journey with me. See you next time.